music is a way that we interact with the world. It's an interface. Uh, it, is, it gives us voice to how we experience the world. We all love, we all live, we all struggle. <laughs> Welcome to Arts Engines. I am your host, Aaron Dworkin. And with us as today's guest, we have Ian Saunders, who you can, as with all of our guests, read all of his bio online. Uh, but he's a sought after bassist, a phenomenal musician, performed with the Cincinnati Symphony, Chautauqua, the Sphinx Symphony, uh, many others. Is faculty at Penn State, my old stomping grounds, where I was concertmaster of the Penn State Philharmonic. I'm not sure if you knew that, Ian. Uh, and is also associate dean of students at Eastern Music Festival. So welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so great that you're here. And also, I just wanted to share that, uh, as all of you know, we have our extraordinary uh, creative partners. And for this week's show, the Cincinnati College Conservatory, as well as the Cincinnati Symphony, were our creative partners for this show, helping us to curate and to uh, research and to bring Ian on the show, which we're so excited uh, about. Um, so, you know, a lot of times, especially with, you know, our guests who are, you know, active practicing musicians, I always like to, you know, kind of go right back to the heart of it, you know, kind of how did you start and especially on bass, uh, you know, kind of what was that initial catalyst that engaged you with the instrument A and B really enabled you to get that, that access to instruction at an early age that enabled you to develop, you know, such a trajectory in the field? Absolutely. Um, well, believe it or not, I actually started playing the violin in the fifth grade. And uh, I actually, I can't remember a time when I made that decision. As far as I know, that's just always been a part of me. I always wanted to play. And so I asked my mom in kindergarten if we could take violin lessons and though she was enthusiastic it just wasn't financially feasible so I held that interest and I kept it all the way into the fifth grade and uh, fortunately enough I was able to enroll in a program where I could get the instrument for free and so I was a very good student I worked really hard and concert master in a few places um, but I actually didn't switch to bass being my main instrument until a freshman in college and that was partly because I was playing the violin, but I never really had lessons or anything like that. And so when it came time to compete for scholarships, I already felt like I was behind the ball. And so I switched to the bass because um, where I was going at the time, Odeon University needed a bass player. And so I felt like I could fulfill that need. And also I knew that this was an opportunity for me to work really hard, but also combine that with uh, the guidance that I needed so much just from the get go. And I started studying with Christopher White, who is the principal basis of Virginia Symphony, and he was wonderful. And I went to Penn State from there, and where I studied with Robert Naren. So I transferred, and he was uh, very instrumental in helping me catch up. As a matter of fact, you know, he took a great interest in in me and my career. So not only did we have the hour lesson that you typically have every week you know we would finish the lesson and he would say well come on by the house and let's keep working or we would have 
you know, multiple lessons or something like that. Just because he knew I had the drive. He knew I really wanted to work. I just needed the, the guidance. And I was fortunate enough to sort of continue that. So when I went to University of Maryland for my doctorate, I worked with uh, Robert Oppelt. And he was the same way. He was the exact same way. He, he knew I really wanted to work hard. And he was honest because he asked me, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to take auditions. And he was like, okay, all right, well, you still got to do a lot of work. So I did a lot of work, but I still had a long way to go. And um, same thing. He he would just really work work with me very uh, diligently. So I was very thankful to those two. And and as luck would have it, I got lucky again when I came to Cincinnati, working with Owen Lee, principal of Cincinnati. It was the same thing, having very long lessons. So for me, a big thing to a kind of take up the base so late, and then make a make a lot of ground. You know, covered a lot of ground in a fairly short amount of time. Uh, was thanks to just having incredible guidance and incredible mentors along with that hard work that I put in, you know, practicing many hours on top of doing other things as well. So that right. was what helped me. No, it's amazing because time after time, it seems I see these examples of where, you know, the role that a dedicated teacher can play oh, yes. in, in our lives is just is so extraordinary. And that extra time for the lessons and, and my senses in hearing you recount that story too, that belief in you that, you know, hey, look, here's where I want to go. But kind of this honest feedback of, look, you're not, you're not there yet. You're not going right. to be, you know, winning an audition right now, but we can get you there. And so both the belief in you and as well as the, you know, the structured rigor of, you know, of bringing extra time and, and, and being committed to, to, you know, to being able to provide that training and, and teaching, right? It's absolutely, yeah, that's, absolutely. that's amazing. It's so wonderful to be able to hear that. And uh, one of the hopes and, and, you know, what we cover on the show is that we have a lot of our audience who are teachers and educators out there. And it's one of the things that I always say is that sometimes as teachers, we don't realize um, that, extraordinary impact that we can have on on students you know if you go through years and years of teaching oftentimes sometimes it's too easy to you know fall into a, a kind of cycle and to mm -hmm. not realize this regular impact that we can have uh, on so many young people so it's, oh, it's wonderful to hear that um, so uh, so kind of continuing along that vein uh, you then had the opportunity to win the Diversity Fellows Program. So uh, can you kind of share what that is about? And, uh, and one of the interesting things I know is the program is actually funded by the Mellon, in part by the F Mellon Foundation, uh, for which actually Elizabeth Alexander, their president, was, uh, was on one of our past shows, uh, which we're very excited about. Uh, so they're obviously, as an institution, so committed obviously, to the things that are happening in our arts ecosystem. But let us know, because a number of our audience members may not be aware of what the Diversity Fellows Program is. Yeah. You know, the, the great part about that, kind of starting at the beginning, I remember on the same day, I got an email from Bob Appelt, who I was just telling you about, and Robert Naren, and they, were, and they both said, hey, there's this program that I think you should audition for. So they were both you know, aware of the program, they had sent it my way. And I was just, you know, touched that I kind of got this email on the same day from both of them. Because even after I was with them, they were still thinking about me, still thinking about like, okay, what can we do? And uh, 
So, yeah, I applied for the diversity fellowship program. There are several auditions that you have to go through. And on the final one, you get a chance to audition for uh, members of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, which was uh, in some ways very terrifying because they're all on stage with you. And it was half stage and everything. But it's an incredible program. So what happens is you get a chance to play with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra and and uh, some of their subscription concerts. You also have professional development. So with professional development, you get they bring in certain people that you get to work with, like Roberto Diaz, Joseph Conyers, uh, Vijay Gupta, and you get to have master classes and seminars with them, which is absolutely wonderful. And also, in addition to that, at the same time, you can go to CCM, which is great. And then you can either apply for artist diploma or you can get a master's as well. So you can do that. And that's something that's free of charge. So you can get um, get that as well. So it's absolutely incredible. And so you're kind of like balancing this quality between these two organizations. Because when you're not working with Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, you get a chance to play in some of the great ensembles with CCM. And then on top of that, you get a lot of audition prep and a lot of audition help. So we have to do a number of mock auditions throughout the year. In addition to that, uh, when we take auditions, we get support with that as well. And then also, you're also learning from your colleagues. Um, so you have this very incredible environment that uh, works to sort of help you along and nurture you and give you a lot of experience as well. Yeah, no, it's just, it seems uh, extraordinarily uh, beneficial. And uh, and it seems like the kind of the partnership, right, the tying between an orchestra and an academic institution to kind of provide both of those aspects is uh, is really a great model. And, and one that my hope is, will really be replicated uh, you know, around the country because it really seems to have a great impact. As you think about it and you think about those different aspects, right? You get the, you know, first of all, you get the, the audition experience, which is good, right? And to feel a little of that fear, is, you know, it's probably good preparation. Um, but also, right, the, the opportunity to engage and interact and perform with the orchestra musicians, but also the formal training and education um, at, at CCM. Is there a part of the program that you would say, you know, if if I had to label one as the most impact like this, man, is is just the the cornerstone of this. Is there a part of it that that stands out for you? It would probably be playing with the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra. Um, I mean, they're they're great, and I I'll never forget the first first rehearsal. I think we were doing Tchaikovsky Six. Um, the first thing that threw me off was how fast they get rep prepared. You know, the first rehearsal, they're ready to go. And if you're freelancing or you're coming from a school atmosphere, throughout the semester, you put on several concerts. So you're used to working on repertoire, you know, over the course of a few weeks. <laughs> that was not the case. You know, you come, you come in there and they read it straight through. And then the conductor goes to work on here, here, here. And I think on that particular day, because we had a bunch of other things to do as well, there was one movement that we didn't get to. And he was, the conductor was like, you know it. <laughs> and I was like, I don't. Um, but of course, your level of preparation um, has to just go into overdrive for what you're used to. So the very first rehearsal, it 
your part has to be solid. There's there's not really any time to do that because you already have to be listening and figuring out what to do. So really getting used to the concert cycle was a huge thing. And that and that was definitely sort of welcome to the orchestra world sort of moment. And then another one was we were doing Bartok and Chertoful Orchestra and there's a really exposed sort of bass and and cello section there. And I always used to wonder, I, I used to think, uh, you know, can they hear if just one person's out of tune? And then the bass players had to play something, they were isolated, the conductor asked. And um, and then I, I did not play something completely in tune, I had to admit, I had to be honest, but they were very nice and the conductor was like, let's just do that again. And uh, we did it again. And then, you know, he's like, that's what it takes and you can do it. And I had a feeling, you know, I had a feeling that, that he was, he was very kindly and they were very warm, you know, to say like, yeah, we can hear that. And then this is the level that you want to do, but more importantly, you can do that level and always maintain that level. So it was a wonderful experience to just be a part of that and, and get used to working in that environment. Oh, that's that's awesome. And, you know, something I also think is so key, which is that it's this right what oftentimes excellence is attention to detail and which is so needed in our field. And so it's the adherence to excellence combined with that you can bring this level of excellence. And here is this space. Here's this opportunity for you to bring that excellence. Uh, and so, yeah, I think these, you know, these types of programs are just so extraordinarily important and, and provide this pathway uh, so that we can really, you know, um, uh, impact our field. So, uh, so it, to switch gears just a little bit, you know, as uh, I'm always interested, you know, uh, for me, it was, you know, not until I got to the University of Michigan, I walked into a lesson and uh, my teacher was like, do you want to play music by black composers? I didn't know there were any black composers. I hadn't really... Mm -hmm thought that much intentionally. I always knew I was usually the only person of color in the circumstances, but I didn't really um, think about it a lot. I just knew it. Um, and I was curious kind of for you as, as a musician of color, has it played into your experiences? Do you, do you feel it either informs the way you approach um, your playing, your studies, either in a positive or a negative way? Has kind of just any of that aspect of, of, of what you bring uh, in terms of being a musician of color to your instrument and or to the field? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I I grew up in the church and uh, it, I kind of fall into that old Steve Harvey joke where, you know, Sunday you go and Monday you go and Tuesday you go and it just seems like you're there all the time. So gospel music has always been a pretty, pretty big part of my life for sure. And in the beginning when I played the violin, I remember for many years that I used to struggle a little bit, kind of like separating the two. Like this is how I, this is when I'll play gospel music and then this is when I'll play classical music because I didn't always feel that there was an avenue for me to take advantage of that. And the same thing with the bass, but bass almost kind of started to force those two things to come together, partly because everyone needs a good bass player. Uh, it's just an instrument that everyone's looking for. And so as I began to do more and more of that, you know, it began to be something that I began to find other outlets and other venues and other things to do. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about being a bass player is 
you know, we're we're typically not making careers as soloists, <laughs> where a lot of times we're we're supporting and we're supporting in a lot of different endeavors. So uh, in a way that just kind of helped link these two things that I kind of kept separate for a long time. Um, and then as I got older, yeah, starting to look at um, there was just this natural and organic desire to look for um, other other artists, particularly who sort of look like me to play and to find repertoire that way. So, um, yeah, it, it has definitely fed into to uh, rep that I play. And it's also been a huge part of a lot of the arranging I do. Um, I think another aspect about being a bass player is because we're always pinching repertoire from other people. It's just the name of the game. Uh, and in doing so, I found things that I like to do. And so there are a lot of pieces such as Amazing Grace or uh, pieces by Richard Smallwood or even, you know, you know, pieces by other composers that I kind of find to work on the bass for myself. And so it's been a huge part of who I am and I've grown to embrace it, especially as I've started programming and playing more in, in the community. That's been a huge endeavor that I've tried to approach lately, not just expecting people to come to the concert hall and, and bask in what is Beethoven and then they leave, you know, I, I want to go out there and I want to create this communal experience because ultimately, you know, the beautiful thing about music is creating and listening. We're experiencing this unique experience together, this collective shared experience that can't be um, done in any sort of way and in that context the composer the performer and the audience are all equal part of that so that's been informing the way that I play when I go out and play in the community and everything to just be more a part of that awesome awesome so well unfortunately we're just about out of time but I was wondering kind of you know as you project out into the future and you you know you look down the road five years maybe even ten years you know, what's the dream? What what comprises your life, say, 10 years from now in the ideal world? Mm, um, I definitely playing in, in a wonderful ensemble. That would be absolutely amazing. The other thing for me is rem still educating and being a mentor. That's, that's always been a huge part of who I am. Um, so that'll be the biggest thing. And then just being an advocate for the arts. I mean, I think one of the incredible things about music that we sort of lose sight of, maybe except for now and in, in this in this world is, look, music is a way that we interact with the world, it's an interface. Uh, it gives us voice to how we experience the world. We all love, we all live, we all struggle. Maybe in recent months, we've done more of one than the other. But it gives voice to that. And I think it's important that as a performer, what I want to do from now to 10 years is whatever I do is to make sure that everyone has access to that tremendous potential of music to always enjoy that way, to always get a chance to speak, to always get a chance to hear all these different perspectives. And so, yeah, that's that's sort of the dream to perform, to do it at a high level, but more than anything else to make sure that everyone has that opportunity to listen and create and enjoy the power of music. Wow. 
Ian Saunders, you truly are one of the great arts engines that is powering human creativity in our field. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.